And now, Chapter 2 of H. Ryder Haggard's King Solomon's Mines, The Legend of Solomon's Mines. "'What was it that you heard about my brother's journey at Bamangwato?' said Sir Henry, as I paused to fill my pipe before answering Captain Good. "'I heard this,' I answered, "'and I've never mentioned it to a soul till today. "'I heard he was starting for Solomon's Mines.' "'Solomon's Mines!' ejaculated both my hearers at once. "'Where are they?' "'I don't know,' I said. "'I know where they are said to be. "'I once saw the peaks of mountains that border them, "'but there was a hundred and thirty miles of desert between me and them, "'and I'm not aware that any white man ever got across it save one. "'But perhaps the best thing I can do "'is tell you the legend of Solomon's Mines as I know it. "'You passing your word not to reveal anything I tell you without my permission. "'Do you agree to that?' I have my reasons for asking it. Sir Henry nodded, and Captain Good replied, Certainly, certainly. Well, I began, as you may guess, in a general way, elephant hunters are a rough set of men, and don't trouble themselves with much beyond the facts of life and the way of kaffirs. But here and there you meet a man who takes the trouble to collect traditions from the natives, and tries to make out a little piece of the history of this dark land. It was such a man as this who first told me the legend of Solomon's Mines, now a matter of nearly thirty years ago. It was when I was on my first elephant hunt in the Matabeel country. His name was Evans, and he was killed next year, poor fellow, by a wounded buffalo, and lies buried near the Zambezi Falls. I was telling Evans one night, I remember, of some wonderful workings I had found whilst hunting kudu in Eland in what is now the Lindenburg district of the Transvaal. I see they have come across these workings again lately in prospecting for gold. But I knew of them years ago. There is a great wide wagon road cut out of the old solid rock and leading to the mouth of the working or gallery. Inside the mouth of this gallery are stacks of gold quartz piled up ready for crushing, which shows that the workers, whoever they were, must have left in a hurry. And about twenty paces in the gallery is built across, and a beautiful bit of masonry it is. "'Aye,' said Evans, "'but I will tell you a queerer thing than that.' "'And he went on to tell me "'how he had found in the far interior "'a ruined city, "'which he believed to be the Ophir of the Bible. "'And, by the way, "'other more learned men have said the same "'long since poor Evans' time. "'I was, I remember, "'listening open-eared to all these wonders, "'for I was young at the time, "'and this story of an ancient civilization.' and of the treasure which those old Jewish or Phoenician adventurers used to extract from a country long since lapsed into the darkest barbarism, took a great hold upon my imagination, when suddenly he said to me, "'Lad, did you ever hear of the Suleiman Mountains up to the northwest of the Mashu Columbwe country?' I told him I never had. "'Ah, well,' he said, "'that was where Solomon really had his mines, his diamond mines, I mean. "'How do you know that?' I asked. Know it? Why, it is Suleiman, but a corruption of Solomon. And besides, an old Isanusi, a witch doctor, up in the Manique country, told me all about it. She said that the people who lived across those mountains were a branch of the Zulus, meaning the dialect of Zulu, but finer and bigger men even, that there lived among them great wizards who had learnt their art from white men when all the world was dark, and who had the secret of a wonderful mine of bright stones. Well, I laughed at this story at the time, though it interested me, for the diamond fields were not discovered then, 
"'and poor Evans went off and got killed, "'and for twenty years I never thought any more of the matter. "'But just twenty years afterwards, "'and that is a long time, gentlemen, "'an elephant hunter does not often live for twenty years at his business. "'I heard something more definite about Suleiman's Mountains "'and the country which lies behind it. "'I was up beyond the Manika country "'at a place called Sitanda's Kral, "'and a miserable place it was, "'for one could get nothing to eat there, "'and there was but little game about.' I had an attack of fever, and was in a bad way, generally, when one day a Portuguese arrived with a single companion, a half-breed. Now I know your Delagos Portuguese well. There is no greater devil unhung in a general way, battening as he does upon human agony and flesh in the shape of slaves. But this was quite a different type of man to the low fellows I'd been accustomed to meet. He reminded me more of the polite dons I've read about. He was tall and thin, "'with large dark eyes and curling grey mustachios. "'We talked together a little, for he could speak broken English, "'and I understood a little Portuguese, "'and he told me that his name was José Silvestre, "'and that he had had a place near Delugos Bay. "'And when he went on the next day with his half-breed companion, "'he said, "Goodbye," taking off his hat, quite in the old style. "Goodbye, bye senor,' he said. "'If ever we meet again, I shall be the richest man in the world.' "'and I will remember you.' "'I laughed a little. "'I was too weak to laugh much, "'and watched him strike out "'for the great desert to the west, "'wondering if he was mad "'or what he thought he was going to find there. "'A week passed, "'and I got the better of my fever. "'One evening I was sitting on the ground "'in front of the little tent I had with me, "'chewing the last leg of miserable fowl "'I had bought from a native "'for a bit of cloth worth twenty fowls, "'and staring at the hot red sun "'sinking down into the desert.' when suddenly I saw a figure, apparently that of a European, for it wore coat, on the slope of the rising ground opposite to me, about three hundred yards away. The figure crept along on its hands and knees, then it got up and staggered along a few yards on its legs, only to fall and crawl along again. Seeing that it must be somebody in distress, I sent one of my hunters to help him, and presently he arrived, and who do you suppose it turned out to be? "'Jose Silvestre, of course,' said Captain Good. "'Yes, Jose Silvestre, or rather his skeleton and a little skin. "'His face was bright yellow with bilious fever, "'and his large dark eyes stood nearly out of his head, "'for all his flesh had gone. "'There was nothing but yellow parchment-like skin, "'white hair, and a gaunt bone sticking up beneath. "'Water, for the sake of Christ, water,' he moaned. I saw that his lips were cracked and his tongue, which protruded between them, swollen and blackish. I gave him water with a little milk in it, and he drank it in great gulps, two quarts or more, without stopping. I would not let him have any more. Then the fever took him again, and he fell down and began to rave about Suleiman's mountains and the diamonds and the desert. I took him into the tent and did what I could for him, which was little enough, but I saw how it must end. "'About eleven o'clock he got quieter, "'and I lay down for a little rest and went to sleep. "'At dawn I woke again and saw him in the half-light sitting up, "'a strange, gaunt form, and gazing out towards the desert. "'Presently the first ray of the sun shot right across the wide plain before us "'till it reached the faraway crest of one of the tallest of the Suleiman Mountains "'more than a hundred miles away. "'There it is!' cried the dying man in Portuguese, "'stretching out his long, thin arm. "'But I shall never reach it, never. "'No one will ever reach it.' "'Suddenly he paused 
and seemed to take a resolution. "'Friend,' he said, turning towards me, "'are you there? My eyes grow dark.' "'Yes,' I said. "'You lie down now and rest.' "'Aye,' he answered. "'I shall rest soon. I have time to rest all eternity. "'Listen, I am dying. You have been good to me. "'I will give you the paper.' "'Perhaps you will get there if you can live through the desert, "'which has killed my poor servant and me.' "'Then he groped in his shirt "'and brought out what I thought was a boor tobacco pouch "'of the skin of the Svart Vetpens, the sable antelope. "'It was fastened with a little strip of hide, "'what we call a rimpy, "'and this he tried to untie, but he couldn't. "'He was too weak. "'He handed it to me. "'Untie it,' he said. "'I did so and extracted a bit of torn yellow linen.' "'on which something was written in rusty letters. "'Inside was a paper. "'Then he went on feebly, for he was growing weak. "'The paper has it all. That is on the rag. "'It took me years to read. "'Listen, my ancestor, a political refugee from Lisbon, "'and one of the first Portuguese who landed on these shores, "'wrote that when he was dying on those mountains "'which no white foot ever pressed on before or since. "'His name was José da Silvestre, and he lived... Three hundred years ago, his slave, who waited for him on this side of the mountains, found him dead and brought the writing home to Delagoa. It has been in the family ever since, but none have cared to read it till at last I did, and I have lost my life over it. But another may succeed and become the richest man in the world. Only give it to no one. Go yourself. Then he began to wander again, and in an hour was all over. God rest him. He died very quietly, and I buried him deep with big boulders on his breast, so I do not think that the jackals can have dug him up. And then I came away. Aye, but the document, said Sir Henry, in a tone of deep interest. Yes, the document. What was in it? added the captain. Well, gentlemen, if you like, I will tell you. I have never showed it to anybody yet except my dear wife, who is dead and she thought it was all nonsense, and a drunken old Portuguese trader who had translated it for me, and had forgotten all about it the next morning. The original rag is at my home in Durban, together with poor Dom Jose's translation, but I have the English rendering in my pocketbook, and a facsimile of the map, if it can be called a map, and here it is. I, Jose da Silvestre, who am now dying of hunger in the little cave where no snow is on the north side of the nipple of the southernmost of the two mountains I have named Sheba's breast. Write this in the year 1590, with a cleft bone upon a remnant of my raiment, my blood being the ink. If my slave should find it when he comes, and should bring it to Delagoa, let my friend bring the matter to the knowledge of the king, that he may send an army, which, if they live through the desert and the mountains, and can overcome the brave Kukuanas and their devilish arts, to which end many priests should be brought, will make him the richest king since Solomon." With my own eyes have I seen the countless diamonds stored in Solomon's treasure chamber behind the white death. But through the treachery of Gagool, the witchfinder, I might bring naught away, scarcely my life. Let him who comes follow the map, and climb the snow of Sheba's left breast till he comes to the nipple, on the north side of which is the great road Solomon made, from whence three days' journey to the king's palace. Let him kill Gagool. Pray for my soul. Farewell. Jose da Silvestre. 
When I had finished reading the above and shown the copy of the map, drawn by the dying hand of the old Dom with his blood for ink, there followed a silence of astonishment. "'Well,' said Captain Good, "'I've been round the world twice and put in at most ports, but may I be hung if I ever heard a yarn like that one out of a storybook, or in it either, for the matter of that.' "'It's a queer story, Mr. Quartermain,' said Sir Henry. "'I suppose you're not hoaxing us. "'It is, I know, sometimes thought allowable to take a greenhorn in.' "'If you think that, Sir Henry,' I said, much put out, and pocketing my paper, "'for I do not like to be thought of as one of those silly fellows "'who consider it witty to tell lies, "'and who are forever boasting to newcomers "'of extraordinary hunting adventures which never happen. "'Why, there is an end of the matter.' "'And I rose to go. "'Sir Henry laid his large hand upon my shoulder. "'Sit down, Mr. Quartermain,' he said. "'I beg your pardon.' "'I see very well you do not wish to deceive us, "'but the story sounds so extraordinary "'that I could hardly believe it. "'You shall see the original map and writing "'when we reach Durban,' I said, somewhat mollified, "'for really when I came to consider the matter "'it was scarcely wonderful that he should doubt my good faith. "'But I have not told you about your brother. "'I knew the man Jim who was with him. "'He was a Bechuana by birth, a good hunter, "'and for a native a very clever man.' The morning Mr. Neville was starting, I saw Jim standing by my wagon and cutting up tobacco on the Disselboom. Jim, said I, where are you off to in this trip? Is it elephants? No, boss, he answered. We are after something worth more than ivory. And what might that be? I said, for I was curious. Is it gold? No, boss, something worth more than gold. And he grinned. I didn't ask any more questions for I did not like to lower my dignity by seeming curious, but I was puzzled. Presently, Jim finished cutting his tobacco. "'Boss,' said he. I took no notice. "'Boss,' said he again. "Eh, hey boy, what is it?' said I. "'Boss, we are going after diamonds.' "'Diamonds? Why, then you're going in the wrong direction. You should head for the fields.' "'Boss,' "'Have you ever heard of Suleiman's Berg?' "'Which I knew to mean Solomon's Mountain.' "'Aye. "'Have you ever heard of the diamonds there? "'I have heard a foolish story, Jim.' "'It's no story, boss. "'I once knew a woman who came from there "'and got the natal with her child. "'She told me. "'She is dead now. "'Your master will feed the vultures, Jim, "'if he tries to reach Suleiman's country, "'and so will you if they can get any pickings "'off your worthless old carcass,' said I. He grinned. Mayhap, boss. Man must die. I rather like to try a new country myself. The elephants are getting worked out around here. Ah, my boy, I said. You wait till the pale old man gets a grip of your yellow throat, and then we'll hear what sort of tune you sing. Half an hour after that, I saw Neville's wagon move off. Presently, Jim came running back. Goodbye, boss, he said. I didn't like to start without bidding you goodbye, for I dare say you are right, and we shall never come back again. Is your master really going to Suleiman's Berg, Jim, or are you lying? No, says he. He is going. He told me he was bound to make his fortune somehow, or try to, so he might as well try the diamonds. Oh, said I. Wait a bit, Jim. Will you take a note to your master, Jim, and promise not to give it to him till you reach Inyati? which was about a hundred miles off. Yes, said he. 
"'so I took a scrap of paper and wrote on it. "'Let him who comes climb the snow of Sheba's left breast "'till he comes to the nipple, "'on the north side of which is Solomon's great road.' "'Now, Jim,' I said, "'when you give this to your master, "'tell him he had better follow the advice implicitly. "'You are not to give it to him now "'because I don't want him back asking me questions "'which I won't answer. "'Now be off, you idle fellow. "'The wagon is nearly out of sight.' "'Jim took the note and went, "'and that's all I know about your brother, Sir Henry. "'But I am much afraid.' "'Mr. Quartermain,' said Sir Henry, "'I am going to look for my brother.' I am going to trace him to Suleiman's mountains, and over them, if necessary, till I find him, or till I know that he is dead. Will you come with me? I am, as I think I've said, a cautious man, indeed a timid one, and I shrank from such an idea. It seemed to me that to start on such a journey would be to go to certain death, and putting other things aside, as I had a son to support, I could not afford to die just then. "'No, thank you, Sir Henry. I think I'd rather not,' I answered. "'I am too old for wild goose chases of that sort, "'and we should only end up like my poor friend Silvestri. "'I have a son dependent on me, so cannot afford to risk my life.' "'Both Sir Henry and Captain Good looked very disappointed. "'Mr. Quartermain,' said the former, "'I am well off, and I am bent upon this business.' "'You may put the remuneration for your services "'at whatever figure you like in reason, "'and it'll be paid over to you before we start. "'Moreover, I will, before we start, "'arrange that in the event of anything happening to us or to you "'that your son shall be suitably provided for. "'You will see from this how necessary I think your presence. "'Also, if by any chance we should reach this place "'and find diamonds, they shall belong to you "'and good equally. "'I don't want them. "'But, of course, the chance is as good as nothing, "'though the same thing would apply to any ivory we might get. "'You may pretty well make your own terms with me, Mr. Quartermain, "'and, of course, I shall pay all expenses.' "'Sir Henry,' said I, "'this is the most liberal offer I ever had, "'and one not to be sneezed at by a poor hunter and trader. "'But the job is the biggest I ever came across, "'and I must "'Take time to think it over. "'I will give you my answer before we get to Durban.' "'Very good,' answered Sir Henry. "'And then I said good-night and turned in "'and dreamt about poor, long-dead Silvestri "'and the diamonds.'